performance performing Lots of talking but never ever get boring Rounding up the humorous stuff in the news About Mormons Can't wait to see which one will they choose This week in Mormons again Dearly beloved We are gathered here today to enjoy another iteration of This Week in Mormons, the original Latter-day Saint news podcast, and arguably the greatest one that is headed by a man who doesn't live in Utah. That's my intro. I don't live in Utah. Devin's always very respectful. He doesn't laugh. So Devin Thorpe is with me this week, everybody. Hi, Devin. (laughs) Sorry. It is a thrill and an honor to be with you, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. A joy to have you, my friend. Happy uh, Happy Thanksgiving week to you. Nice of you to take some time with the holidays coming right up. Yeah, I am excited to, to do this. I love doing this. Even my wife, as we were chatting an hour ago over dinner, she said, you love doing this. This will be good. This will be good. I'm glad you're doing this tonight. So she's right. Well, I do love it. Well, I'm glad you love it. I mean, sometimes I don't even love it. So you can your, your positive energy can carry the day. Thank you. I, I look forward to it. But I feel okay right now. I'm not oh, in a bad mood about TWIM today. There are some times when I'm not in the mood to do it, and then I get there. That's but good. today I feel great. I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. There's a lot of interesting news to talk about this week. Yeah. Um, there certainly is a lot of interesting things have happened. Last week we had, of course, a very, very big show. All kinds of crazy stuff went down last week, and some of that bled over into this week. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, I just want to check in with Devin and see what's going on with you personally, professionally. Tell, give us give us an update on what's happened since we last spoke to you. Oh, golly. Um, you know, not much new. I, I'm winding up my, my show. I'm on right. uh, episode 1188, aired today, and uh, we'll have... Uh, you know, eleven eighty nine on Wednesday and eleven ninety on Friday, and we'll we've got just ten after them. We just have ten after that. So, well, yeah, I, mean, I know you were winding down. How does that feel to be uh, winding down such a long project? It, it, it's it's been interesting. Um, the and maybe it will come back, uh, but when I made the decision, it was it was sort of it reminded me. I mean, I hate to say this; it, it sounds so melodramatic, but it, it felt the same as when I lost my parents. It was, I, I will not lie, it was a very uh, dark feeling. Um, but um, I've moved on. I'm excited for the next thing, whatever that, whatever comes. And, uh, you know, it will be great, whatever it is. I'm not worried. Yeah, I mean, there have been many times when I have thought about hanging up TWIM, um, you know, we're, we're finishing up 10 years here in January. So I, I, those insights, you know, for someone else who's been doing something for so long, I, I think it's interesting to get your feedback on that. Don't worry, folks. I'm not planning on ending it anytime immediately soon by any means. But, uh, when I, you know, Devin's doing great stuff and he's moving on to something else. Maybe someday I too will have to move on to something else. Just bigger know. and better. That's all it will ever be, Jeff. Bigger I will and better. Get- I will get into venture capital. <laughs> that is what I will do. I will sell out. I will work for the Goldman Sachs office in Salt Lake City. There you go. And I will move to Utah. I will become one of you. I will find a, a nice piece of property in Draper above the inversion layer because I am quality. And that will be how I live. There you go. 
There you go. Can't wait to hang out with you more, Jeff. It'll be great. Oh, it'll be a dream. We'll go to we'll go to Beto's, and we can Crown, we can record we'll twin to... episodes in the same room. It's that's a minority for this production. Yeah, I can probably count less than I think two hands or less the number of times a twin show has been done with both all parties involved in the same room. It has been very very rare. That's including Al. Al and I have probably done less than five shows together in person over ten years. So that's what happens. Thank you, Internet. I'm I'm so thankful for the internet. I'm thankful for Zencaster that lets us talk or record. It's just, you know, we have blessings all around. And this time of year, we all reflect more on our blessings. I think I think it's very easy to uh, ponder those things and hopefully be a little bit more conscious of them. Uh, and one of those things, I don't know, have you seen the new nativity video that the church has just released yeah, I was, a couple days ago? You know, I had not spotted that until today. I saw it on your list of topics and uh, I watched a few minutes of that. It brilliantly shot. It's just it you know, filled absolute me, Hollywood you know, type production. Yeah, the church is, it's kind of funny thinking back, what, less than 20 years ago when we were making the Testaments. And, and we've we've come a little ways. Oh my gosh! Since, yes, since then, yeah, yeah. This is, but if you're not familiar with it, listeners, so the video is called "The Christ Child." Uh, the church hinted at it a, a little while ago, but it dropped over the weekend, and uh, it is it is as Devin said, just fabulously done, wonderful production values, but even down to a lot more, what you could even say, nitpicky things like the fact they speak Aramaic in this film. They don't subtitle it either. The director said they didn't want to because they didn't know what the dialogue actually was at the time, right? So why just make up dialogue between the characters? Let them speak in Aramaic and if you speak Aramaic then you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But we all know the story well enough and you get the gist of it enough that it makes sense, of course. Um that that detail is really cool and there's a great piece at the church news that uh that gets into a lot more of the details about how they tried to make this historically accurate, how they consulted so many uh, scholars, historians. Um, They really tried to recreate the dress and the language and all those things so that it was completely immersive. Uh, They didn't employ church actors or LDS actors, maybe some, um, but for example, the man playing Joseph is Jewish. I believe they probably tried to get people who were native to the realm to play the uh, the characters. There are people who speak Aramaic today. Uh, I'm not sure if they necessarily grabbed all of them because a lot of them are also in Syria, which is a kind of a tough pull right now. Yeah, no. but um, it's just, it's wonderfully done, even down to the wise men in the Latter Day Saint tradition showing up when Jesus is basically a toddler. He's probably right. three or four when yeah. they yeah. show up, and that sequence is beautifully shot. Um, they also the director also said that it was common at the time for shepherding to be a family business. Women were involved in this. So the shepherds, there's women among them who come, yeah. uh, which is supported by and beautiful, scripture. Beautiful, the way they shot that as well. I love that. Yeah. And one of the last ones I love is that they have a better understanding of no room at the end. Because obviously, we know the nativity story. It's always, they go to Bethlehem and jo- Joseph is frantically knocking on doors and disgruntled innkeepers won't let him in, right? Until finally one of them says, fine, you can go be with the animals. But what's interesting is they they tell us that Bethlehem was built on a hillside of limestone caves and people actually would build their homes in front of the caves or inlets and then use the caves as places to keep animals and hay and things like that. So the argument, uh, according to an interpretation of, of the scriptures of the Greek translation, 
is that when they went to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary sought to stay with Joseph's family. But because many people were going to Bethlehem to pay taxes, it's likely that Joseph's home was filled with guests and there was no room available in the upper room or guest chamber, which is sort of what implies the inn, mm. uh, which meant that they, Joseph and Mary retreated to the privacy and comfort of the family stable, in this case, a limestone cave uh, near the family home for delivery of the baby. And I love the quote from the director. He says, a whole tradition revolves around the idea that they must have gone to a lot of inns and gotten turned away and there was a, a mean innkeeper, but none of that stuff is in the scriptures. So yeah, it, cool details yeah. here and it's, it's beautifully made. So Jeff, can I share my favorite faith promoting rumor? Uh, always, always, always. We welcome rumors on this show. So uh, this... This it relates directly to the to this story and to that point that you highlighted of Jesus being a toddler when the wise men arrived. In the Book of Mormon, you're familiar with the Book of Mormon, right? I've heard of it. Yeah. So in the Book of Mormon, uh, the people, the leaders of the church in the Book of Mormon period, when Christ was born were Samuel, Lamanite, Nephi, and Lehi. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about that is in the immediate period, right before the birth of the Savior, they all disappeared. And there is never any reference to them again. I think in Samuel the Lamanite's case, it says he left and was never heard from again. And in Nephi, it says that he left and we didn't come back. And Lehi just doesn't mention that it never mentions him again. And so, and of course, we're, we're referring to the Nephi and Lehi of the fourth Nephi book or third Nephi. Third book. Nephi, yeah. And Helaman, really, there's what happens Helaman. in Helaman. We're not, we're not talking about old school Nephi. We know that he died. Right. Okay. So, the Nephi of third Nephi is mostly the son of that Nephi, which only makes it more confusing. But the of those three, Samuel the Lamanite, Nephi, and Lehi, they. Faith-promoting rumor, poorly documented, purely suspicious, uh, are, are the they are the three wise men. Stop it. Yes, they are the three wise men. Uh, obviously, the, it was possible to trans, uh, you know, to cross the ocean even in that period of time because that's how Nephi got there, the original Nephi and the original Lehi. So there was a way. So who else would God have wanted to send there but Lehi and Nephi and, and Samuel, the Lamanite, who had prophesied for years that the Savior would come. So that's my faith. That's, a, that's, that's very interesting. So I've Googled this as you've been talking about it. Yes. Uh, I did not make this up. So. No, I know you didn't make it up, but I've, I'd never even remotely thought about this in my life. The one thing I wonder, though, is, you know, the three wise men, of course, were men of means, and they were from the Eastern country. Yes. Um, it, Eastern, I've always assumed meant, I've always assumed Eastern just meant, you know, Babylon or right. Persia, right. Yeah. you know, whatever, something like that. But East could have meant very far East. Very, very, very far East, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the way over to... Yeah. What we all know is Ontario, Canada today, everybody, because <laughs> yeah. the Great Lakes theory is the only correct interpretation of the Book of Mormon. Oh, not, not Book of, sorry. 
I'm going backwards. I mean, they came from Ontario and then, yeah, you know. Right, right. So um, that's interesting. So there are a number of uh, online, you can find many posts about this. There's the LDS Freedom Forum. I can only imagine what other content <laughs> is there. And I, I'd love nothing more than to cite them. That's my favorite website. Um, there's also the Wise Men at a website called the Nephite Project, which I assume, oh, this is a long, this must be where you've heard some of this because- there's a long-form teardown here about how that might be the case. Yeah. Over at Pathios were the wise men Nephites. Oh, man, I'm loving this. Yeah. I'm loving it. Thank Doesn't you. it just make your whole Christmas better to think that the, 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 the wise men were Nephi, Lehi, and Samuel? I think so, too. But the, the question then is, though, don't. what about their name? What about who changed their names to the Balthazar and Melchior and stuff? I mean, who did, where'd that come from? Well, it's probably the, just the same mechanism used uh, that, that Joseph Smith used when he wrote the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, not to be air on the whole white and delightsome thing, but do you, do you also believe this is where the tradition would come, that one of the wise men was darker skinned, and that would be Samuel? In yes, that's, that's one of the clues that some people use, although that tradition, I don't know how well documented that tradition is. It may just be nonsense. So, the, 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 In my mind, the strongest argument against it is that— Is common sense. Is common sense. <laughs> yeah, there is that— <laughs> from common sense and the obvious that it would be really hard the the apart from those <laughs> arguments the, the best argument in my mind is that uh, the purpose for them to have gone would be to have borne witness to it and so if they had gone to bear witness they would have then returned to bear their witness and uh, say we saw it we went, we oh. saw him, and we have returned to tell you it was awesome. He's the cutest little kid um, you ever laid eyes on, but they didn't do that. And so that, in my mind, is the strongest argument that this is just fun conjecture. Well, you've you've got a convert in me. I'm in. <laughs> Good. I will preach this. Yes. Uh, from all all places. Oh man, it's Christmas time. Yeah, it gives me gives me a great thing, you know, raise my hand every year in in elders quorum and Christmas time to share the story and get laughed out of the room. Well, at least it livens up elders quorum, I'm, you know, otherwise. Yeah. You know how elders quorum can be. Yeah, I do know how elders quorum can be. I do. <laughs> I am still cynical. You know, we're about a year into this whole 2 hour of church thing and I'm I've not stopped being cynical about the Elders Quorum curriculum, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, but I do love the two-hour block. I don't ever want to go back. Now, yeah, uh, it, 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 yeah, you're right. It's nice to be done quickly. I sure, sure. um last week. Let me just bring up something you talked about last week. Oh yeah, uh, what's just up? Pr- pr- quickly, you talked about the uh, motherhood may be bad for your health, and uh, I've. I thought the article that that inspired this conversation, uh, uh, which appears to be written by someone using a pseudonym, which I I don't love, um, but is well documented. The fact is that uh, um, in, in many ways, this was just a critique of the church. But the fact is, of course, having a baby is one of the riskiest things a human being can do. Uh, so it's not nonsense, and the idea that 
we should talk about those risks as parents to our children makes really good sense. Um, you know, the, some of the critiques about uh, women in the church, I will leave to others, uh, but um, I do think there's foundation in this discussion that uh, uh, encouraging women to have lots and lots of children is is a sacrifice we minimize and overlook uh, a lot. And we certainly aren't asking men to make a similar sacrifice. So it's, <laughs> no. it is, uh, it is a fair topic of conversation, shall we say. I often feel like, at least in my experience, that the women who have had many, many children um, also don't seem to be ones that have like complained about pregnancy and things like they're, they're, you know, types that just say pregnancy was fine. Yeah. That's most, that's my experience. I'm sure yeah. that's not the rule, but, right. but for the most part, that's what I have seen. Cause I meet other women who are just like being pregnant sucks. I do it because I want to have another child and have the joy that brings my family. But yeah. pregnancy and delivery is the absolute pits and you're never going to tell me that it's some wonderful experience yeah. just because of the result. Well, you know, it's, um, it is, I don't think most people fully appreciate how risky it is to have a baby. It, it, it truly is. Uh, and even, even women who survive are often left uh, with lifelong health issues as a result yeah. even of a single pregnancy. So I, I, I think it's a healthy discussion for us to have. Uh, you know, I had, uh, uh, this is, you know, 40 years ago, I uh, had a conversation with the state president's wife, and she said something that I thought was beautiful. She had four kids herself at a time when that was about average uh, in the church. And she said, um, when God said, multiply and replenish, he didn't mean you have to do that all by yourself. And I, I, I've always forget that she kind of meant it as a joke but I thought, you know, that is really general conference-worthy comment, right? I mean, I think we really should recognize that we don't need to put this burden on any one woman or even on women of, of a generation or time. I mean, women ought to be having babies when and if they want and are able to have. I'm also, I'm going to go out on a, maybe a doctrinal limb here. I feel like there's been a divine hand in the the successful sustainment of the human race. I mean, obviously, we know that we are divinely created. But like you said, pregnancy and childbirth is so risky. And it's pretty remarkable that the human species has continued. Obviously, it was much more dangerous hundreds and thousands of years ago. But we've still survived up to this yeah. point. And women have successfully brought children into the world and survived after to, to raise them from from you know the time of Adam and Eve. Yeah, obviously it's gotten technology's made it better. Medicine has made it better. There are still parts of the world that uh, do not have access to those sorts of blessings, unfortunately. But uh, I think that shows an interesting role that God has played in looking yeah. after His children. Because I would almost say it defies scientific logic in a sense that we, with all the complications, have somehow stuck it out and that we yeah. just that women haven't just been dying all the time from childbirth. So, ladies, our hats go off to you. Thank you for all that you endure for us because I will never understand it because I just can't. Here, here. Here, here. here. 
Well, to completely turn now, Devin, have you done the right thing and subscribed to Disney Plus? <laughs> no. And uh, the article you linked to here had an interesting uh, fallacy in it. Uh, it suggested that 100% of people in Utah want uh, to have Disney Plus. Um, I think what they meant is that uh, they used the, the state with the highest interest as the benchmark and then compared everyone else on that scale of 100. Yeah, that would make sense. Not, they didn't mean to suggest that uh, everyone in Utah wants it. We just want it the most, and by far, to your point. But what Devin's alluding to here is that uh, Google Trends, which is Google's way of seeing what's happening on the internet and where, what are people searching for, uh, showed that in the run-up to the launch of Disney+, Plus, Disney's new streaming service, um, which was announced a year or so ago. So this data is from November 2018 until the present, until last week or so. And it shows that, yes, Utah was the number one state in the country by a significant margin expressing interest online for Disney+. Plus. Now, this does not shock me because having – I only lived in Utah for school, but having been to Utah many times. I mean, Utah is probably the only state I can think of in the Western U.S. or almost anywhere where there's active advertising for having Disneyland annual passes, which is typically something you only see in Southern California, you know, yeah. but, but Utahns are so into the Disney. Nope. There are plenty of families up there that have their annual passes that make the Hodge down to Anaheim at least once or <laughs> twice a year and, yeah. and do their thing. And I think also just our natural predilection as Latter-day Saints to more family-friendly entertainment to oh, yeah, yeah. stuff that allows, especially because a lot of Disney is in so much built around escapism yeah. and fantastical and the, world. And the, yeah, well, and it's all family-friendly. It's also much closer than you might think. Um, you know, we, we get used to driving long distances out here in the West. And so the idea of driving down to Anaheim, even from Salt Lake, it's just well, yeah, that's what you, well, how else would you get there? That's uh, what you do. That's what yeah. you do. So yeah, so, it's a, it's a day drive, day, da- day down, day back, three days at Disneyland. Great weekend. Live- <laughs> There's the dream right there. So I don't know. I've had Disney plus since it started and uh, it's not that it's had anything for Mormons, but I will say this, I will say this, you know, I've been a Netflix subscriber and all the others and Amazon. I've had most of those for a long time. Now that I've tinkered around and looked at Disney Plus, there has been sort of a sense of not relief. I'm, there's the nostalgia factor for sure, for because they've opened the vault of all kinds of old. I was watching old like Chippendale cartoons, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Donald Duck. And those are those are a crack up to me. By the way, I also love that all the older cartoons come with a disclaimer that says they're they are broadcast in their original state and may contain outdated cultural depictions, which is interesting <laughs> because a lot of the old ones are like vaguely racist. So yes, yes, they are. Anyway, Some of them not so vaguely. Um, in a world where like I'll look at Netflix and Amazon and there's so much garbage I have no in, not just because it's just a dumb movie or a show, but the content is questionable and they push all kinds of things at you. You can see on something like Disney Plus where I can pretty much log in and realize there's not going to be much there to like offend me. It's just I, kind of like a, it's a warm blanket. Yeah. I think parents are going to love that. I mean, I started watching this show called The Imagineering Story. Mm-hmm. And it is produced in house. It's one of the original programs they have, but it's a it's a multi episode documentary about the Imagineering Department of Disney, and that's the group of individuals who design the attractions for the theme parks. Um, 
because it's basically they have to they're artists and engineers at the same time. So it talks it's going chronologically with the history of the whole company and the stuff they've done. And it's just fascinating. I could sit there all day and watch that stuff. I can't say that for nailed it on Netflix or some other random program. So Disney Plus, my hat goes off to you. I Virginia did not top the search results. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't do my part. Well, thanks for trying, Jeff. Thanks for trying. That was the hard-hitting news. There we go. That is that is fun news. Um, back to the discussion about motherhood, though. An interesting development, and you flagged this uh, for us in our conversation, but you flagged this interesting development up uh, at BYU-Idaho, where the school has announced they will not accept Medicaid as an acceptable form of insurance in order to get tuition, yeah. Yeah. which is just patently absurd. Uh, I mean, it. there is, I'm sorry, there is no, none legitimate argument for this. The, the excuses that the school has made have all been debunked already. And they've barely made any either. They've pretty much, they've kind of just made the decision and not backed it up by much of anything. Yeah, one suggestion was that the hospital couldn't handle it, but a Salt Lake Tribune article said they called the hospital and they said, that's absurd. Of course, we can handle the traffic. Um, no, it's it. I, I don't know. Of course, I haven't talked to anyone about this, but it seems to me that this is a reflection of two things that um, some people in the Mormon culture, and so I presume they may be guilty of this at uh, BYU Idaho and the administration there. But they they are concerned about uh, Medicaid being a form of socialism which I find absurd and offensive. And uh, I think there's also a concern because the it, Medicaid provides coverage for um, contraceptives. And uh, so this relates, in my mind, directly to the discussion we were having about women and timing their babies and recognizing that this is something they need to be healthy for and need to be ready for and prepared for. And so it, I, I do find this, um, this whole thing to be an offensive thing. And one of the interesting sidelines of this is the students that run the student paper were told they couldn't write about this. Yeah, that's the big scandal. They tried to hush them up. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, well, I think they have hushed them up. They have hushed <laughs> Yes, thank you. Uh, and and I think they were told they couldn't even sell, send their stories anywhere else. And I think that it was that that got the coverage. So I, even the New York Times has covered this story now. Uh, and well, I think it's gonna, because of that. That's what's going to scuttle it. I mean, when I was at uh, when I was in BYU Provo, we we famously had two protests while I was there, which was a lot of fun. And that also made national news because BYU is usually a land of sedate compliance. Peace and harmony. Uh, <laughs> peace and harmony. Um, and one of them, one of them was about Dick Cheney speaking at commencement. So that was one thing. But the other one um, was because there was a guy named Todd Hendricks, I want to say was his name. And he was an employee. He was getting his master's at BYU, but he was also an employee of like the student association in BYU Provo, some kind of an advisor. I don't know what, you know, just a job to have while you're in grad school. And, um, he wrote a letter, I think an op-ed for the Daily Universe that spoke about ways to improve it, which is funny because now we're coming around to this and we see why student associations matter. Because BYU's student associations, a good thing you should all know, any campus at BYU, they're not actual student 
governments like other universities might have. They are associations that plan random activities and have no real power to advocate on behalf of students or anything like that. Uh, it's it's distinct from a lot of universities where you have a student association that has some bite. That, Interesting. That is not I the was case. not aware of that. That's not the case in BYU at all. And I think that's also one of these issues. And a lot of other universities, uh, if they've threatened to do things like this, like uh, no longer recognize Medicaid or cut other funds, the student associations have actually stood up effectively like a union for the students. Right, right. To lobby on their behalf. You can't do that at BYU. I remember when I was running the student paper at Cornell's business school back uh, just after Joseph Smith left New York. And uh, it was, um, we wrote some articles that the administration and faculty just hated. They just hated them. And I hadn't intended it to be that controversial. We just, what we did is we published the student feedback. Uh, that had always been public, but not accessible. And we just put it right in the newspaper and and the faculty and administration flipped out. But you know what? They never asked me not to do it again. They didn't, you know, they were mad, but they did not, uh, I think it cost me a scholarship, <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't ever say to me, Devin, you shouldn't have done that. I mean, they, I don't, they, you know, in a way that suggested that I needed to change it. And we did, we kept right. doing it. I don't want to out my mom here, but my mom was a journalism major at BYU, and I forget. She's told me a story in the past, but I forget all the details. But she did get in trouble for some investigative journalism she undertook when she was there, like with the administration, like the dean brought her in and had words. So censorship is not a new thing at BYU. And sorry, the the story I got into a few minutes ago, Todd Hendricks, real quick, he wrote this op-ed and the administration was not pleased with it, even though it was mostly just about how to improve BYUSA. Um, and so they fired him, but what they did is they, they sort of said, <laughs> it's actually, this kind of has some parallels to all of the impeachment stuff going on right now. Basically they said, so, uh, your wife's pregnant. You wouldn't really want her to lose health insurance, would you? And they're like, maybe if you keep this quiet and don't go to the press about us firing you and all this stuff, um, we'll just keep you on the health insurance. It was kind of a dirty deal like that. Yeah. He went public he went public with it and it resulted in a massive protest about how the administration was corrupt. Wow. Wow. wow I don't wow. think I gave that the greatest. Let's see. Yeah, what was that? 2006? BYU employee because he was terminated over it. He was fired for writing a letter to a letter to the editor criticizing BYUSA student elections. And this actually resulted in a protest on campus. It was fabulous. Um it was amazing. You would have loved it, Devin. People had duct tape over their mouths and they wrote BYUSSR on the oh. duct tape. People were selling BYUSSR shirts. It was pretty fun. I, I should oh share some. Pi- I've, got, I've still got pictures lying around somewhere. I should show them to you. Um, anyway, as for the Medicaid thing, for some background, BYU has a requirement that you have some kind of health insurance to, to attend there. And this is common in a lot of universities. Yeah. They have previously accepted at BYU-Idaho Medicaid, which is the United States government-funded health program for people below the poverty line. Um, which many students are. Which many students are, yes. This isn't just, you know, this isn't like poor immigrants taking your goods and services or anything. Yeah, it's just like students. Um, you can buy one through the university, which has different coverage. But like some of the articles have said, talking to couples that are married and stuff that are scraping by on Medicaid, um, they don't have even the $500 per year to pay to BYU to have their coverage. 
for right. example. Yeah. Um, so these are just like serious issues. And this is only at BYU-Idaho. Uh, BYU-Provo sent out a tweet stressing that that Medicaid ban does not exist in Provo. Provo still recognizes it. I just have to wonder if this is a test balloon for the yeah, rest of I, the BYU I system. suspect it's that those universities work more independently than that. Uh, I hope that's the case. I, I, well, I think they do. I mean, they have different honor codes. Yep. They, they say it's one university, but BYU-Idaho is famously kind of fascist. With yeah, a lot it's, of their, it's, a more, it's a much more conservative place than BYU and Provo or BYU-Hawaii, as far as I can tell. So. BYU-Hawaii, of course, is where people who aren't serious about their morals attend. <laughs> Devin, the girls there wear bikinis. Bikinis, Devin. Bikinis. Oh, my God. <clears throat> I may they need walk, to go they be a walk around there. with bikinis that say "I am becoming pornography." They just walk around with them. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you're so funny. Oh, well, th- I love having Devin on. He's so good for my ego. A <laughs> uh, quick mention I'll give you right here: there's going to be eight new missions in the church opening up in July of 2020, which will bring the worldwide total back above 400, up to 407. We 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 crossed well over 400 during the so-called surge. A number of years ago, but then, as you might expect, with fewer missionaries, we consolidated. So, uh, the eight new missions opening will be Brazil, Recife, but I imagine it's actually pronounced Hesife, right, Devin? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, South, Cameroon, Yaoundé. So, I'm assuming that means Cameroon did not have its own mission before, because Yaoundé is the capital, unless Cameroon had one other mission in in the main port city of its name, I forget. Um, Ecuador, Guayaquil East. Ethiopia, Addis Ababa. So Ethiopia has not had its own mission before this. Yeah, that's exciting. Mozambique, Bera. Bera is up in the northern part of the country. Tanzania, Dar es Salaam is exciting. I think that's been part of the Kenya mission before that. Austin, Texas, surprisingly, has not had its own mission before. I think it's been part of, what, San Antonio North or something like that? And uh, Dallas, and Texas, Dallas East. So the spread. Now I feel like I have to look at... We don't have time for it. I want to look at some of the maps at Camora.com uh, and see which missions currently go. exist for these countries. But that's good news. The work is going forward. And shocker of shockers, a lot of it's happening in Africa. Surprising no one. But curiously, those were all East Africa, weren't they? None of them were West. West Africa has kind of been the real hotbed of activity. But new missions in East Africa. Yeah, I've been, having been to uh, Addis Ababa, it's uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, what a great country, great people. Glad, glad, so glad to see the church prospering there. That's great. Um, you know, back on this theme of women, uh, Devin, uh, let it go, man. Come on. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, polygamy. Uh, uh, Peggy Fletcher Stack wrote. Uh, uh, the, the, you know, it was the main cover story in the Tribune, the front page story in the Tribune on Sunday was about the modern practice of polygamy in the church. Uh, this, this comes up in part because of the tragedy in Mexico and, and all the discussion oh, yeah. around yeah. Mormons and, and polygamy there. But uh, so that helped to kind of give this urgency. But one of the things that's happening in the church more and more is that women are pointing out uh, their frustration with doctrines around polygamy. We, uh, When we banished the practice of polygamy, we sort of didn't go all the way. Um, we banished it in mortality only, but the practice of uh, eternal polygamy uh, very much continues. Uh, 
President Oaks and President Nelson have both been sealed to two women. Um, and what's not talked about very often in the church, but that in fact happens, is that some men are uh, simultaneously sealed to two living women or more, uh, right? Because men don't have to have their sealings canceled to be married to right. another woman. Right. So, so you'd be some... sealed to two of You'd be sealed to two women, but only currently civilly married to one of them. Right, right. So increasingly, and and it's certainly not a universal view, and and Peggy makes this very clear in her article. I thought it was quite well balanced given uh, the context for the discussion. But uh, she highlighted equally the complaints of women who felt that the church is not hearing them when they say they live in terror of... An immortality where their husband takes on a second wife, and they are left in eternity, being one of one or you know two or more uh, spouses to a, a husband, and they they're not cool with that. Some now other women say uh, there is a beautiful uh, comment from one faithful uh, Latter Day Saint who said, "In you know in the eternities, love is abundant." And uh, we will not feel the constraint or jealousy that we might feel now, and it will be perfectly delightful. Um, but there are a lot of women who aren't buying that. So I thought it was at least an interesting piece worthy of calling attention to uh, for those who are interested in such things. Does she make mention in the article, I see this as sort of the, the other side of Elder Oak's talk during conference, which was met with some derision because he kind of chuckled when a woman who was it was more a woman who was concerned, like, what if my husband died mm-hmm. and I can't get sealed to another man, you know, like young widows and, and such. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so but, they the, have, but they have other concerns. You know, it's the other side of it where, okay, my husband passed away and we were married for like two years and I can't get sealed to my husband who's now going to be with me for 45 years and have kids and all that stuff. Right. Like, what, what solace do we have? And President Oaks kind of laughed about it. It was sort of. So it was a little strange for that, but yeah. So, but it, you know, I think his his point was uh, we will sort all of these things out in the eternities, and God will make it right. And hopefully, that's the same thing for those who are frustrated with knowing they will be in a polyandrous relationship, right? Yeah, and, and I guess what I would say I about that is, if we have such faith in God making things right in the eternities. I think there can be more room for making them comfortable in the present, right? Uh, you know, the, the brethren have suggested that there are a lot of things we don't know everything about. Oh, sure. And we, we take the more orthodox, conservative view and then insist that God will make it all right in the end. And I think there is an argument to be made that's consistent with the brethren that if we can trust in the Lord to set things right, maybe we could take a more liberal view of those practices in the mortality and trust God to sort them out. Well, I think what you meant to say there was a conservative view, Devin. Conservative. <laughs> in any case, um, I, I, think, I think we all have to rely on God sorting things out. I just hope maybe we can be more kind and loving in, the, in our application of policy in the things where we have limited knowledge and understanding. 
Yeah, I think the internet age has made us less patient with that. You know, I mean, growing up, I heard that all the time. You know, if it doesn't pertain to your eternal salvation, don't stress out about it, right? Just let the Lord, put that stuff in the Lord's hands and yeah. you do you. Keep the commandments, be a good person and be faithful. But I, I do wonder if just our greater access to information, to support groups, discussion groups, all those sorts of things that are at our fingertips in the information age have inevitably yeah. made us just a little less patient with not having those answers. You're probably right. Uh, you know, the, the thing about women and, you know, this modern practice of polygamy that really persists in this sort of uh, eternal sense uh, affects virtually every woman in the church uh, because she, every woman in the church could fear uh, a, an, another wife entering into the relationship picture somehow. I would fear it. I'm good with one. I have no desire to have more. My wife is already a handful. Am I right? <laughs> right, brother? Careful, careful. <laughs> I, can't, I can't have two of that. <laughs> she doesn't listen to the show anymore, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I, All right. yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> By way of uh, interesting mention, so you might recall during general conference uh, in October, President Nelson did a little mic drop at the very, very end. It was like a Steve Jobs one more thing moment. He's like, by the by, 2020 is the 200th anniversary of the first vision. We're going to do some stuff to commemorate that. And general conference will be unlike any general conference you've ever experienced previously. And we all said, what does this mean? Um, well, we've, we've gotten a little bit of a peek behind that, and it's not quite as dramatic as <laughs> yeah, not- expect. But... Um, What President Nelson has said via a letter from the First Presidency is that on Saturday evening, uh, instead of having the young, the uh, women's meeting or the priesthood session, there will be a combined meeting for anyone 11 or older. All of us ages 11 and up, which will basically mean it's for everybody because, I mean, like what are parents going to do if it's both parents and their kids that are that age? You're just going to try to like desperately get your other kids in. No one's going to attend this in person. That's all I'm saying. And if they do, you're going to be bringing all the other young little rugrats. So it's interesting. They say this, this is the letter makes a point to say that, you know, we're going to commemorate the very foundations of the restored gospel. So I don't know if this session is going to, to focus on the restoration of the gospel. It's evident that there's going to be a lot of that going on in 2020, but I'm curious what's going to be behind this. I don't think this is a permanent change. This seems kind of like just a special edition just for April, I think. They don't they don't say that yeah. explicitly, but it's it's implied. But I uh, kind of hope that it is permanent. That you, is. you hope that it's a permanent thing? So if it is, yeah. that would be funny because then that would mean this much ballyhooed change to have the women's meeting once a year and the priesthood meeting once a year yeah. only went like one year. One year, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot and of then things. That's it. That's no, we didn't. No time to even get a rhythm. Yeah, that yeah. Stuff like that. But it'll so be. That really- yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I'm probably wrong on that, but uh, I think, uh, especially the way the um, women's session was handled last time, it was treated almost as a family session in some respects. Uh, in a, in a way, but that was wonderful. I mean, if, at the same time, if this is a permanent change. This will be special because that will mean October 2019 would be the only time in like what a hundred odd years yeah. that the men have not attended 
an evening session. Yeah, that's that is an interesting observation. And that would be like the one outlier then. Yeah, in all yeah. of history. So I don't know what's going to happen in this. We've we talked a lot on our conference recap podcast. Go give that a listen if you want to, you know, back from early October about what else we think might happen in 2020. It could. Who knows? I'm I'm pulling for a broadcast live from the Sacred Grove or something. I yeah. don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, that would be but cool. But they've done that before. They've had conference in the Sacred Grove. So that would not be unlike any other. Right, right. Good point. I don't know what we can do to make this unique. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think I mentioned in our last discussion, I'm kind of hoping for pageantry uh, and events, so, more social events around General Conference, more celebration uh, to give it more of a, a festival at it, a atmosphere in town, not necessarily in the sessions, but in town, so that people want to come be a part of the celebration of conference. Uh, yeah, but at least this you time. got like a unicyclist going around City Creek and <laughs> yeah. fire blower and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, um, there are a number of stories. Maybe we can just race through these uh, quickly. Some are, but, always, some are just a mention. That's all we get. So a uh, great article in the Deseret News this week about Cam uh, the church having an impact, a huge impact on healthcare in Cambodia. And in Cambodia, the church has only 15,000 members. I've been there a couple of times, and the church does have an outsized influence, it appears, because I that, that 15,000 members, but a lot of churches around Phnom two, Penh. Two, two stakes in like six districts, though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite Mormon-y, but big impact on healthcare. That's exciting to see. So what uh, are they doing, though, to have an impact on healthcare? Uh, mostly, it is upgrading the physical facilities of the hospitals. So the church is engaged there in, in that process. Uh, in Oklahoma... Uh, oh, did you see... Devin, real quick, I forgot. Did you see the uh, temple design? No. Which temple design is this? The one for Cambodia. Oh, for Cambodia, yeah. Cambodia Cambodians are just, in my experience, the sweetest people in the world. They're just absolutely the kindest, most loving people I've ever met. Okay, I'm scrolling down. There it is. Oh, it's beautiful and so culturally appropriate. That's spectacular. Very cool. So, so when President Nelson was there on his Southeast Asia tour in a meeting with the Cambodian saints, he revealed the design. Oh, that's cool. fact. I bet they loved it. I bet they loved it. Yeah, and it is culturally relevant. Very neat design. Yeah, yeah. That's that's nice to pay some cultural uh, tribute in that way. There's also a group of Mormons called out in the in an Oklahoma paper for their work on preserving the a cemetery there, the uh, cemetery had been kind of abandoned, and they came and cleaned it all up uh, and recorded all of the names on all the headstones in this little uh, cemetery, uh, which is, you know, vital church, you know, or family history kind of information. So that was great to see. Cool. This week, the church announced uh, that there are now 10 locations that will be coming online for their Light the World giving machines. It's one of my... One of my favorite things that the church does is the those yeah. giving machines. I think that's cool. Yeah, they're they're amazing. The church donated forty two thousand pounds of food to the uh, Texas Food Bank. Uh, that was also a really cool uh, thing that I thought the church was involved in in sort of uh, that church service. Uh, and then uh, you highlighted another one. Uh, the church had, has donated, what was it, 120 beds to a hospital in Papua New Guinea. So uh, 
you know, sometimes we, these things don't hit our radar, all the good things that uh, the church is doing around the world. And I love it when we can highlight the good things they're doing because they do a lot of cool stuff. We do a lot of cool stuff. The Papua New Guinea one is interesting because we, we're going to have a temple there in Port Moresby. And uh, we, we thought about that one for years, but the issue is Papua New Guinea is pretty, has pretty poor infrastructure, you know, in general and even with respect to the region even. Um, so it's great that the church is involved in trying to help meet more the temporal needs of the people of the country because if they cannot eat, if they cannot have health, they cannot worship as well as they might want to. So I'm glad to see that you know we're not just going to storm in and build a nice cool temple and then let that be that. You know we're trying to improve society in yeah. all aspects. Yeah. Well, I um, you know it's certainly consistent with the Savior's model. You think about yeah, all the sure. time and energy he put into uh, caring for the poor and encouraging people to do that. Uh, uh, you know there that is what Christianity is and should be all about. So. You are a genius. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, so if you are in the Salt Lake area anytime soon, there's a lot of things happening, of course, near Temple Square. Uh, one of which, uh, real quick, Temple Square itself, the Christmas lights will be on this coming Black Friday. So when you're done doing all your shopping at City Creek, head over and those lights are going to be blazing yeah. at dusk. Uh, for some reason, Gephardt Daily. Uh, uh, it says it's going to happen on November 9th, which seemed like kind of a random day to do that. That's just a typo that they've yet to fix. Um, but it also mentions some of the, the uh, various other non-ticketed events that you can attend while you're there yeah, at Temple Square. there's a lot so, going on. Temple Square. A lot going on. One of my favorite things when I was at BYU, love driving up to see the lights. It's one of the most beautiful things you can see all year. Also nearby Temple Square is the Church History Museum. And the Church History Museum has put up an exhibit that's going to run through January 2021 about the history of women's suffrage in Utah. Uh, Utah is one of the first territories in the United States to offer women the right to vote. Uh, the first, we did some research. The first was Wyoming by like a matter of months. Uh, but Utah, we believe, is number two. Uh, all the way back in the proclamation happened in 1870. Utah wasn't even a state yet at the time, but it was the first territory or state to do that. Of course, women nationally in the United States did not get the right to vote until 1919, 100 years ago this year, uh, via an amendment to the Constitution. But um, this whole exhibit is going to talk all about women's suffrage in the state and, of course, how it relates to women in the church. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, they've even, they're even talking about – they've got quotes in here from you know the women's exponent, Susan B. Anthony, all kinds of useful things. Yeah, so if you are in Salt Lake and can go to that museum – the Church History Museum in general is kind of like an unsung gem, I want oh, to say. Yeah. It is amazing. There's a lot of cool stuff there. And people people visit Temple Square and they do all the usual stuff and they go and they watch a movie in the Legacy Theater and you do all the things. But a lot of people don't think to go over to the Church History Library and there is a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. it is It is fantastic. Uh, and I'm glad they're doing that because that will offset some of the impact of the Real Housewives of Salt Lake. So that's that's good. I think it's good. So, because um, I don't think the real housewives of Salt Lake will bring anything good to Utah. So. <gasps> what? I, I'm curious for your perspective. Al and I talked about this last week, but you are a Salt Lake yeah. denizen. You know. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that I won't watch every episode, uh, but I hope I hate it. <laughs> I will feel really guilty if I don't hate it. <laughs> 
Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just can't think that anything good will come of it, but I will, I will not be able to not watch. Um, now, do you think, I don't know, having not really watched the, of course, the original Housewives iteration happened in my native Orange County, California. I think it was all filmed down in like Coto de Casa. Um, do, I don't know if they actually, they say, you know, the real Housewives of Salt Lake, but it's usually a bunch of women who already know each other, right? So is it localized or are they actually going to grab women from Draper and Bountiful? And, yeah, I don't know. Because I've never watched Daybreak. any of the other Real Housewives shows ever. Uh, and I, I, It's like it's like we're not their target demographic, Devin. I can't it's that. like we're not. Uh, but suddenly when it comes to Salt Lake, I'm afraid I'm going to have to watch. Uh, oh, everyone's going to want to see it. Just to even see like random places that you may know. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! They're I, at my favorite I'm guessing that fancy new development over there in Halliday at that intersection yeah. is going to be featured. You know the one I'm talking about? It's got that taco joint. You know the one. <laughs> exactly. Well, what did, you mentioned Temple Square, and I, I didn't want to get us too distracted with this whole uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake. But as I was watching the uh, the new video, the new Nativity video that you highlighted at the top of the show. Um, I was prompted by YouTube to watch one of my favorite all-time church videos uh, again, and it really is just absolutely magnificent. Oh my gosh! But it's the uh, the world's largest Hallelujah chorus from 2016. Uh, the church Ooh, did yeah. this, and uh, so just you know, YouTube that sucker, and uh, boy, see if that doesn't just make your day. Uh, and then, you know, put it on your calendar to share that on Friday as you're heading over to Temple Square and get people in, get them in the spirit for Christmas. Uh, so anyway, that's my, my concluding thought for the show. Well, I'm okay concluding right there. (laughs) Everyone, you can, uh, please, of course, visit us at thisweekinmormons.com, which we encourage you to visit, assuming the site is live. We've had a number of hosting issues over the past week, but right now we're looking okay. So go there. Oh, I hate hosting Um, issues. Hosting issues are the absolute worst. They're the worst. Likewise, if you haven't yet subscribed to this show, we encourage you to do so however you get your podcasts um, and leave us a review on iTunes in particular if you can. That would be awesome. Um, If you need any help with figuring those things out, you can always send us an email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You can send me one directly, jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. And I, I, I will get back to you. I always do. I do not ignore the emails at all. Um, and lastly, patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons. A number of you upped your contributions last week after our show, and I cannot thank you enough for it. That's very kind of you, very thoughtful, very generous. Uh, Patreon just lets you pledge a certain number of dollars per month that you want to spend to support artists and what have you. So if you want to support TWIM, you can use that. Um, it's pretty straightforward. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons. And uh, someone commented this past week about us having a Venmo. Maybe I'll look into one of those if that's something that's, a, if there's any interest there, let us know. Devin Thorpe is from, is soon to be the erstwhile host of Devin Thorpe's Your Mark on the World, Right. That is correct. Yeah. But for the time being, you can still find that. Yes. And then he's being vague about what he's moving on to do, but I yes. trust it's going to be amazing. Uh, the, the the universe is being vague, uh, too. It's not just me. <laughs> so you're like, I know I need to stop this, but I don't know what else I need to do when it's done. 
Yes, that's exactly right. Well, well, we wish you that you may have clarity and find that clarity in the Salt Lake Temple that closes like this week, right? Isn't it shut down like right now? Yes, yes, it is. It's, is it closed effectively this week now? This is when it starts? No, I think it goes through the end of the year. I may be remembering wrong. I didn't look it up. Uh, but but I, I think the St. George Temple just closed. Yeah. Uh, and the Salt Lake Temple closes at the end of the year, I think. You're right. Yes, it closes on December 29th. Okay. So we got some more time. Fabulous. Well, Devin, I can't thank you enough. Always a pleasure to have you with Thanks you. for having me. It's a joy to be with you. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners. Safe travels if you're doing so. And we hope you have a wonderful and heartfelt, enjoyable time with family and loved ones instead of the cliche of fighting and what have you. Right. And uh, we will join you again next week with a very fun interview. And that is what I will say about that for now. But I hope you'll tune in next uh, Tuesday. That'll drop. So for Devin, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. Be well, be holy, and be happy. Yes, New York is really us, Barnaby and Cornelius. All the guests of Mr. Hackle are feeling great and look spectacular. What a knack there is to that acting like the born aristocrat. We got elegance if you ain't got elegance. You can never, ever carry it off.